Okay, um, man, today is full. We've got a lot, uh, a lot of emotions too. Um, if if y'all are tracking with what's going on in Ukraine, um, we just felt like needed to address that as well. And um, so I, I guess a couple things. One is um, we are limited people with limited capacity, and so when it comes to being aware of and feeling everything that's going on in our lives and in the lives of people around us and then all over the world, that's too much for us. So uh, I believe that the Lord doesn't call us to ignore what's going on, but also don't believe we have to jump in with both feet on every single thing all the time because we don't have the capacity to do that. Um, So if you've been feeling a little guilty about how much or how little you've been keeping up with things, just know that the Lord (laughs) loves you and he's in control and you're not, and that's okay. Um, But also when we have these feelings of anger and fear uh, toward injustice and toward what's happening, um, he gives us a place to go with that. He gives us language through his psalms. Um, And some of these psalms are very uncomfortable psalms for a lot of us to pray because we're like, do we really want to say that? And God's like, yeah, yeah, you can bring it all and know that I'm going to sort it out. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to pray uh, from Psalm 69. And part of Part of this prayer is, is asking the Lord to bring judgment on his enemies. Um, and we can think about that in a lot of ways. We can think about that, the people that are thumbing their nose at the Lord and the way that he calls us to live and uh, bringing evil and destruction into the world. That's his world. Uh, we can think about the uh, spiritual powers of darkness that are behind everything that goes on in this world like that. Um, but here's the beautiful thing again is that the Lord says, you know what? You don't have to work it all out for yourself. You can just be angry and be sad and pray these words I've given you to pray and trust that I'm gonna sort it all out, okay? So um, let's, let's pray. And I'm gonna pray um, collectively for the sake of our brothers and sisters, part of Christ's body that is in Ukraine and all the people that are um, being affected very firsthand by everything that's going on. Save us, O God, for the waters have come up to our neck. We sink in deep mire where there's no foothold. We've come to deep waters and the flood sweeps over us. We are weary with our crying out. Our throat is parched. Our eyes grow dim with waiting for our God. More in number than the hairs of our head are those who hate us without cause. Mightier are those who would destroy us who attack us with lies. What did we steal must we now restore? O God, you know our folly and the wrongs that we have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through us, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through us, O God of Israel. But as for us, our prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer us, in your saving faithfulness. Deliver us from sinking in the mire. Let us be delivered from our enemies and from the deep waters. Do not let the flood sweep over us or the deep swallow us up or the pit close its mouth over us. Answer us, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to us. Hide not your face from your servants because we are in distress. Make haste to answer us. Draw near to our souls and redeem us. Ransom us because of our enemies. Let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. 
Let their eyes be darkened so that they can't see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. But we are afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set us on high. We will praise the name of God with a song. We will magnify you with thanksgiving. When the humble see it, they'll be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it forever. Lord, we we pray this to you in the matchless name of Christ. Amen. All right. Um, Man, we're just going everywhere today. Um, If if you're joining us for the first time here, we are in a series called Be Curious, where we are looking at the person of Jesus, maybe with new eyes, maybe for the first time, or maybe trying to get out from underneath some of the stuff that we've thought and felt about him or been told about him um, throughout the course of our lives. And uh, I want to say, I want to start off by talking about a friend of mine. Uh, There's a man named Kirk Atkinson, who's a, a pastor in town, and he passed away last weekend. And Kirk uh, was a part of, if you don't know, Midtown Fellowship is a, a group of congregations that are still one church. And so we have this community of pastors and we meet together every week. And, uh, and this fellowship is very powerful and it's very life-giving. And Kirk was a member of uh, the EPC, which is another kind of denomination of Presbyterianism. And he was the only EPC church in this city and so uh, he had known Randy, our head pastor from before, and Randy said, hey, man, come, come be a part of these weekly gatherings. So we got to be with Kirk uh, every week uh, ever since I've been here the last three and a half years. And uh, we were remembering Kirk this week. And um, for me, the two things that stood out to Kirk, the two things that I heard him say more than anything, uh, like the refrain of his life, uh, one was he would just look at you and say, I love you, man. He was this big, big guy, always wore this big cowboy hat uh, and boots, larger than life. Um, And the other thing that he would always say, and I can't say it here, um, but I'm going to give you the edited version. Um, And it really was beautiful in his own way. uh, When people would share stories about people who would say things to them uh, that were life-taking or shaming or untrue, um, anything that would get in the way of somebody believing that God really loved them, uh, he would say, forget that guy. And then he would go on to describe sometimes what he would do to that guy if he saw him in person. Um, but that is what I heard Kirk say more than anything. And I love that about him because he was fighting for people's hearts all the time. And he, he pastored in North Nashville in the Bordeaux neighborhood where things are physically rough all the time. (laughs) And uh, Kirk was just, 
man, he was out there. And as, as rough as it gets physically in that neighborhood, um, what he cared the most about, he, di- he did not care about what was going on in the neighborhood. He certainly did. And he fought for justice um, in that neighborhood. But what he cared the most about, make no mistake, was um, the, the spiritual forces of darkness and people um, not knowing and not believing that God loved them and that there was a way to be united and redeemed uh, with their creator. And so Kirk was the kind of guy that, um, like Jesus, uh, like the Jesus that Kirk loves still uh, and followed his days on this earth, uh, is surprising. He would say a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily expect a pastor to say. Um, and so, you know, Kirk was a great reminder to me of what it is to be curious. Um, because, you know, if, if we make quick judgments or we make assumptions about um, who this Jesus is, we're going to miss him. And even people who sit here and worship uh, every single week for years and years, um, we can still miss him. And so, uh, who's reading our scripture this morning? Okay, Reagan, if you want to come on up. Uh, this morning, we're, we're hearing a story about uh, Jesus fighting for people in unexpected ways. And uh, this is Mark 2, 1 through 12. Awesome. Um, Mark 2, 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many, people, many were gathered together so that there were no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had, when they had made an opening, they let, down the, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now many of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were that thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know this, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified, God saying, we never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we ask um, that you would come and illuminate our spirits, that you would knock off the deadness of our our souls, the blindness of our eyes, and uh, let us see you and receive you in ways uh, that will bring you glory and bring us life. And I say in Jesus' name, amen. So um, at this point in Jesus's life, he had already become a celebrity. He was um, traveling around and he found himself in all these different places. And he had become a celebrity because really two things. One, he was healing people. He was able to heal people of all these different diseases and ailments. Basically anything physically uh, wrong with people, they would bring them to Jesus and Jesus would heal them. The other reason he was becoming a celebrity and people wanted to hear what he had to say was because he was talking about God and teaching about God in a way that nobody was hearing. He was talking about God as if he actually knew him personally. 
and his teaching had authority and his teaching had power. And so people were coming after him. And so Jesus is already here in chapter two of this gospel account, um, already having to go off the grid so that he can keep doing what he really came to do, which is to proclaim the word of God uh, and then ultimately to fulfill it. And it made me think this week about, um, I remember hearing about Weezer, the band. Uh, they would play a lot of small secret shows under the false name of uh, Goat Punishment. And um, so Jesus, this was like a goat punishment show. Jesus was um, trying, to, trying to do his thing and the word got out and he's in this house in Capernaum and now it just blew up and everybody's there and people are telling their friends and they're coming from all over the place to hear this man, to see him. You know, what are these people looking for? Who knows? Um, these people were probably like this room of people. Um, they're probably looking for all kinds of things and a lot of them not having to do anything with God. <laughs> like, some of these people were probably just there to get a little miracle, um, to get a little healing, to make life a little better. Some of these people were probably there to feel better about themselves. Um, I'm a good person because I go listen about this, this uh, great teacher. Um, and some of these people were probably just going to have their fancies tickled a little bit, um, just bored, and they just want to see some action. So, um, yeah, I just said fancies tickled, and you can take that home with you. Um, there's all sorts of reasons that these people were there. And uh, Jesus, though, he was there for one reason. Mark 1.38 says, um, here's why I'm here. Like, make no mistake about this. I am here to preach the good news of God. And then in Mark 1.15, he says, this is basically what the good news is. He says, the time is fulfilled. Th this good news that God has been working throughout all of human history the time is fulfilled. It is, it is going to be revealed. The kingdom of God is here. Repent. Turn from your other ways of trying to make life work and believe in this good news. Believe uh, that God loves you and he is making a way for you to come home. So that is what Jesus is teaching these people when they show up. Uh, they is this whole posse of people and four of those people are carrying a mat on which a paralyzed man is laying. And so I want you to just stop here and put yourself in the shoes of those friends and of that paralyzed man and think about what that was like. Think about um, the, the vulnerability of this situation for both of those people. These, the people carrying their friend uh, from who knows how far away, hoping that something is gonna happen, hoping that Jesus can do something about their friend um, and think about the man who's allowing them to carry him, to be paralyzed for his whole life. And uh, now he's having to do something, you know, it makes me think of um, Shawshank Redemption. Hope is a dangerous thing. Um, he's been burying it, you better believe, for a long, long time. And now they're asking him, Jesus is asking him through all the stories about him, hey, would you allow yourself to hope again? Would you allow yourself to hope that things could possibly be different? And so that is how these people walk into the scene. And it's uh, very vulnerable, exposed hearts for these people. And they get to the door of this house, and it says that the house is so full that they can't even get to the doorway. They can't even get to where they can see in to the house. And, um, and that's when you need a friend like Kirk, um, the guy that I just told you about. 
uh, because at some point you have to imagine that somebody at the door might have turned around and said, um, hey, sorry, guys, it's all full in there. And then maybe some of the guys started to be like, yeah, we need to go back. And then the Kirk friend in the group was like, forget that. We came here to get our friend healed, and we are not leaving until we see this guy. And so these friends take their paralyzed friend, and they go up on the roof, and they make a way. They make a way where there was no way because they needed to get this man in front of Jesus. And so it says they, they cut a big hole in the roof, and the roof <laughs> falls down into this place where all these people are. I mean, imagine that. Like, Jesus is teaching, this very important teacher is giving a sermon or a speech or something, and all of a sudden the roof starts to fall down, and then all of a sudden there is a mat with a paralyzed man on it that's being lowered down uh, in front of everyone. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on here. Who is this guy? What's... What's happening? Um, And what's happening is these guys, these friends, are refusing to uh, politely and quietly make friends with darkness. Say, no, 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 no. We are not going home today. We are not going home until we see this man. They were audacious. They were inappropriate. They were foolish. They were shameless. They interrupted Jesus. They ruined his roof. And Jesus looked at him and said, I am important. You don't interrupt me while I'm teaching. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say that. And Jesus also didn't ask them where to send the bill for his roof. Which when you think about it, it is kind of amazing No, Jesus said yes to everything that these guys did. Jesus was amening what they were doing by his uh, silence and allowing this to happen. Think about that. He just got interrupted. There's this paralyzed man that's dropped in front of him. The roof is a mess. The house is a mess. Everything's in disarray. And Jesus does not seem to be upset about this at all. And what he's amening in these friends, what he's amening in these people and their audacity is love. Love for their friend. Love produces courage and self-sacrifice and boldness and creativity and reorders values. They weren't as concerned about social norms and niceties as they were about their friend getting healed. And Jesus says, yes. And so just want to pause here for a, a half second and say, Are we living out of love? Do we live like that? In our day-to-day life, are we sleepwalking and just kind of following along with the way the world works? Or are there moments where we step out in creativity and boldness and shamelessness because something matters more? He's amening their hope that things can change, that it won't always be like this. This can be different, maybe. I'm not just going to lay down and take it. That, that we're hearing about this man, and that's the last thing that he's amening, is faith. We're hearing about this man who can do something about this, and Jesus, we're here because we believe that you can do something about this. We're putting all of our hope in one basket and giving it to you. 
and saying, we've heard stories. We know. You can do something about this. And so Jesus sees all of this, their love, their faith, their hope, and says to the friends, I see you. I see you. I got this. This is for you guys. And he looks at the paralyzed man and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Have a great day. And they're like, what? It's like, you want to do anything with his body at this point? Or are we good? And he's like, no, we're good. And I mean, just imagine being those friends. Imagine being the paralyzed man. What? Like, thank you, I guess. So what is Jesus doing? Is he crazy? Does he not know why they came? Is he evil? Is he messing with them? That is so cruel, right? Is he a fraud? Can he not do anything about it? And he can just say, your sins are forgiven? No. He just knows more than they do, and he knows more than we do. Um, It's like the difference between if you have an ant problem in your house, um, asking for his body to be healed would be the equivalent of me running around and smashing every tiny individual little ant that I can find that shows up in my bathroom. And you see that that's not going to get you anywhere. Because somewhere deep down underneath your house, there is a colony of ants, thousands upon thousands upon hundreds of thousands, and they are going to keep coming way faster than I can smash them with my thumb. And so essentially what Jesus is saying here is, uh, you can't see it yet, but you are okay. Because of who I am and what I'm doing. I'm not smashing ants with my thumb. I'm moving down into the core of the deepest darkness and I'm blowing up the whole colony. Because physical issues, physical handicaps, physical ailments, physical suffering is directly tied to sin. It is a product of sin being let loose in this world by us rebelling against God and his created order and how everything is supposed to work and upsetting that balance. And it spins out all sorts of emotional unhealth and physical unhealth and mental unhealth and instability amongst world powers and all kinds of murder and evil and greed and lust and perversion and everything is just spun out into the world now. And so if, if Jesus was concerned with just healing every individual broken arm or blind eyes or paralyzed body, um, he could keep doing that all of his days, all day long, and really never even make a dent in what's happening in this world that needs to be healed. So Jesus is not opposed to physical healing, but he's playing the long game. I'm here to do something about that and everything else, but I've got to go to the core. And that's why he spent his time, uh, Jesus' emphasis was not on healing bodies. It was on preaching the good news of the kingdom of God that was coming into the darkness to change everything and transform everything. And not only was he coming to preach that good news, he was coming to be that good news. Because the good news about what God was coming in the world to do was coming through this man. The good news is a person. It is Jesus coming to say, hey, everyone watch me because I am God and I am taking all of your sin into myself 
and doing something about it and undoing all of this darkness. He is the word of God. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament is talking about the one who will come, the one who will come and put everything right, the one who will come and put an end to this darkness that we see and feel and experience in our own hearts and in the world, in every corner of the world. He is the fulfillment of all that prophecy, and that's where these scribes come in. Starting in verse 6. We now hear that there are these scribes in the room, and scribes were experts in the law. They were experts in interpreting the word of God for others. They, they would do a lot of what I'm doing right now. That's a lot of what they would do is help people understand the word of God so they can know God more and follow him more and worship him more and love him more. And so they were here. They were here to hear from Jesus. They were here to hear him preaching this good news. Why were they here? We don't know. But we do know from Jesus' response to them that they weren't there in this honest humility and curiosity. They weren't there to really see what Jesus had to say and be open to what he had to say about who God was that might challenge their understanding. So these men, in their hearts, says, they didn't say this out loud, Jesus was perceiving what they were thinking to themselves in their hearts, and they were saying this, who does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins. Okay, that part is good. That part's okay, that's true. Who is this guy? Like, we need, to, we need to know because only God can forgive sins. The problem comes when they draw their own conclusion and it's wrong. That this is blasphemy. That this guy is, is blaspheming God. He's speaking wrongly in the name of God. He's putting himself in the place of God. He's sinning. And that's the problem because he wasn't sinning. They drew this bad conclusion in part because they didn't have any faith, hope, or love in their hearts. You see, if their whole point of them being experts in the law was to be so familiar with the prophecies that they were watching with hope for the one who was going to come, to believe that he would come, and to love God and say, God, you're God, we're not, we don't know everything, and have faith that God is sending someone. And so when they're hearing this man speak these words of life and hearing that he is performing these signs to go along with these words of life, there should be an openness there. You might know something. You might be somebody different. We might need to stop talking and start listening. But now we see Jesus, uh, like these friends carrying their friend on the mat, um, and we see what this story is really about. Jesus is coming, maybe even more so for the man on the mat, for these scribes and for their soul paralysis. Remember, he, he just told that dude on the mat, you are now okay. You have peace with God. You are, you are okay. And man, that, that's pretty audacious to say that to a paralyzed man, right? But he meant it. That guy was okay. He was going to be just fine, even if he stayed paralyzed. But Jesus is saying, he, he's like Kirk here. He's saying, nope, 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 not today. No, forget that. No, I'm not going to let these people leave with that ringing around in their hearts. Because remember, it's not like these guys interrupted his teaching at all. They were just 
thinking this? And Jesus saying, no, no. And he goes to these guys and he runs right into it and says, why do you question these things in your hearts? Essentially what he's saying is, come on with it. Like, get it out. Let's have it. Like, what's going on there? And that's what he says to us. And sometimes Jesus picks a fight with us because he's too tired of us pretending that everything's fine when it's not. So there's times, you better believe, when he comes into our life and he bugs us and he doesn't let everything be okay because he wants this that's rattling around in here and in here to come out to him so that something can be done with it. To stop playing nice when we are hating God in our hearts and so full of anger and resentment and doubt. He's saying, I I don't want that. I don't want you to just sit there and act like everything's okay and paint a smile on your face. That's awful. That's garbage. I didn't come here to make you a caricature of somebody who loves God. I came here for you to really love God and have a relationship with him. So if you got something in there, get it out. And that's what he's saying to these men. Come on. And so then this amazing thing happens. He says, so that you may know, you guys that are thinking these things in your heart, this has nothing to do with the paralyzed man. He's about to get a really great gift, but this is not for him. This is for you, so that you may know. He's about to give them a lesson in scribing because they're supposed to be experts in the law of God. So he's like, let's go there. So that you may know, and what does he say? That the Son of Man, that's a very, very specifically uh, used uh, moniker here, has authority on earth to forgive sins. What he's saying is he's saying, hey, look, if you're experts in God's word, let's go to God's word. In fact, let's go to a passage that you're very familiar with, Daniel 7, and this is a prophecy about what is going to happen And this is what it says in Daniel 7. As I looked, thrones were placed in the ancient of days. That is the God, the living God, the God of the universe, took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. He is holy, holy, holy. His throne was fiery flames. You don't mess with him. Its wheels were burning fire. I know it's a weird picture, but this throne has wheels because it's going throughout the earth. Nothing is hidden from his sight. His reign, his rule is everywhere in his created order. A stream of fire issued, came out from before him. Thousands of thousands served him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment. The books were opened because this ancient of days is the one who judges all people. Anyone who's ever drawn a breath is his creation that he stands in judgment of rightly. And then it says this, I saw in the night visions and behold, Check this out. In addition to seeing the ancient of days, I saw the clouds of heaven and there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, to the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." This son of man has been given authority from the only one who can give it the ancient of days and his kingdom is over everything and everyone. And then listen to this from, let's go to another place in Isaiah 35 that these guys would be familiar with. When this is happening, when this son of man, when this chosen one comes, listen to what's gonna happen. 
People shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. He will come and save you. And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man, the paralyzed, will leap like a deer, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And so Jesus says, in effect, who do I think I am? I'm the son of man who has all authority. And I have come in this authority to move down personally into the core of the deepest hellish darkness and wickedness on behalf of my people to blow it up and end it forever so that they might have life and have it to the fullest. That's who I am. Do you know who you are? You are somebody who is a sinner, um, who is deserving of God's wrath, and you are somebody who is dearly loved by God. You are somebody whom Jesus has come for to save you, to give you life, to redeem you, to bring you home to God. That's who those scribes were. That's who we are. And so you know what? Um, In Jesus, we don't have anything to fear. We don't have to fear any bombs. We don't have to fear any cancer. We don't have to fear our own sin, and we don't have to fear death. Um, We don't know what's coming tomorrow in Ukraine, and we don't know what's coming tomorrow in our own lives, but also we do because of this Jesus who has gone into the core of darkness and blown it up. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is a person. The good news is fulfilled because the good news is a person. So the same call for us as it was to them, leave your old life apart from him and the ways that you're trying to make life work apart from him and come and believe him. Come and turn to him and receive life. And then the people who saw this said, we have never seen anything like this. And man, they were right. Because nobody can do anything like that except for Jesus. And that was to God's glory. It said they glorified God because, man, we really hoped that God would be like this. We really hoped that God would come to us and do something that we can't do for ourselves and love us and want to heal us and, and, and just be like this Jesus is. Glory to God that God is like that because that's exactly what we wanted him to be like and that's exactly what we needed him to be like. So this Jesus is worthy of worship, um, all of our love, all of our attention, and as his people, we run with him into the darkness like, uh, like he does here, like the friends carrying the mat, like my friend Kirk, um, and we say, no, no, forget this. Forget that lie that you've been told that God doesn't love you or that it's all up to you to make yourself right with him. No, 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 no. Let me tell you about this son of man. Let me tell you about the one who's been given all authority, Let me tell you about the one who went into darkness for you so that you never have to go there. You don't even have to sniff it so that you will live and never die. And we also work. We are like Jesus. We are like our Jesus, and we work against the physical suffering in this world in all all of its forms. 
but we're not blinded to the fact that that's not our greatest problem. We're going to work to undo that, but we are very focused on the spiritual darkness and people's souls and their union or lack of union with the God of the universe. So we go out into this world um, like our Jesus and with our Jesus and in his power. And um, I want to get Nick Pilkington to come share a little bit about um, some, some people who uh, have carried him to Jesus. Yeah, so <clears throat> Matt asked me to share about when I've been the paralytic and uh, I've had friends come around me to carry me before Jesus and his throne. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about most recently um, with struggles as being a father and uh, having friends like Shannon Kosarik and Denise Bayhill that are in our small group and have been for a long time coming with Matt over to to pray for me and, and my wife and read scripture over us and to bring us before the throne of Christ and before our heavenly father. And through that, I was reminded of my time first meeting Christ, first getting to know about the love of Christ. And it goes back and, and I realized that this has been true of me for my entire life. That as a, as a newborn baby, my parents were not believers. They hadn't been to church for, for many, many years and um, didn't know the Lord. And um, yet the Lord provided a family in our neighborhood that um, was where my childcare was. That's who I stayed with all week long as my parents worked and they knew Jesus. And I first experienced the love of Christ through them as an infant. And then as I grew, they began taking me to church with them. And, um, and it was a joy and it was a gift to me even as a, a newborn, as a helpless baby. And, uh, and then they moved away. Uh, when I was about five years old. And um, the Lord brought more friends that I didn't know that just a few weeks later, someone knocked on our door on a Saturday. And this is in West Tennessee in a little town, uh, Millington, Tennessee, or just outside of it. And uh, this, this lady came and knocked on our door and she said, you know, talk to my mom and said, I haven't seen your son in a while at church. And um, she offered that they had a program called the Joy Bus that they had some retired school buses, about a dozen of them actually, uh, that they repainted. Uh, so Memphis City school buses, when they got too old and stopped working, they would retire them and this church started buying them up. And they had about 10 that they, uh, I think were just donor parts for the three or four that they could keep running. And uh, they had a whole army of people that had volunteered that I knew nothing about as a child. Uh, but those were the friends that carried me before Jesus, these people that would go get licensed to drive a school bus to bring a kid like me to church that would work on the weekends as mechanics to take the parts off of the broken down ones and fix it up. And so the next day this bus came and picked me up, took me to church and it was a joy. And for years, that's how I came to be with the family of Christ. And it was a joy. And um, I don't know why God did that and, and why he chose me, but it was evident that even as a small child, he laid out friends and plans to surround me time and time again, to bring me to his throne, to bring me into that family, to hear of the love of God. And, and through that, he eventually brought my mom in and, and just seeing this perpetuate. And so going back to, to now, um, it gives me great joy and peace to know that that same father is who loves my children today. And, um, and so I can trust him 
because he's always been there for me from the very beginning when I couldn't stand on my own uh, to be lowered down and to be given great love and freedom and healing. So that's part of my story. Uh, we ask that you would open our eyes um, as your people, as your men and women and, and children um, to, to be like you, um, to continue to be formed by you, to be like you, um, to move into the darkness and to carry people to you as you continue to put people in our lives to, to um, constantly carry us uh, to you and keep us with you, Lord. Um, Please do that for us as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.